Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hello, bitch. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. It's been a while. It's been a long while. It has. Maybe it's been the longest while. Yes, I think we've broken records. Yes. Um, But now we're back speaking and we've we've done Christmas, we've done New Year, we're back at work and here we are, it's January and it's cold. Oh yeah, it's very cold. I have actually, I should tell you, I've done double scarfing. So proud of you. Yes, it was amazing. It was very good. I really liked Isn't it. Isn't it brilliant? Mm-hmm. Then I then of course I lost <laughs> I left one of them in a cafe. Um Oh no. Which Can is you get my it back? Yes, it's uh it is my acne scarf that says gender equality and I'm very fond of it. Oh well you need that. Yeah, so I, I did I did get it back. Good. But it was a good, good. experience and I shall do it again. Good, very good. Oh, it's just so it's just such a good way to do yes, double scarfing. Definitely. It really is. Yeah. I mean, we've moved to a new campus, the court has moved to King's Cross. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm having to get used to dressing for cold weather, then boiling hot tube, then cold walk, then boiling hot office. So I'm I'm really having to think about those layers. Yeah, at least you've got a boiling hot office. That's quite good. It is. I I, I need that really. Mm. So that's very good. But you must tell me about Paris. Yes. So um, to try and cope with um, the the end of the holidays, mm. we thought we'll have another little one, and we went to Paris over the weekend. How nice. And it was cold there too, and the gilets jaunes were out in full force on Saturday. But um, still, we managed to do quite a lot. So we saw an amazing exhibition at the Bibliothèque Nationale, which is about was about Nadar, but not just about Felix Nadar, but also about his brother and his son, who were also both photographers which I hadn't actually I didn't even know and I thought I knew quite a bit about Nadal mm. obviously not and that was amazing it was really it was much bigger than I thought it would be and I wish I'd bought the catalogue but it was quite expensive and heavy yeah. looking so I didn't but then um, maybe more more amazingly in a, we were went to the Yves Saint Laurent the Fondation Yves Saint Laurent where oh, I hadn't yes, been I read about that one yeah so so it's near uh, it's actually very near the Galliera and um, they had this exhibition called it's interesting in French they call it Asia Asia dreamt or dreamed dreamt by Yves Saint Laurent and in English they called it Yves Saint Laurent dreams of the Orient Oh. Yeah, which I found... Asia, they should have stuck with Asia, Asia. Yeah, I thought that was weird. And particularly, mm. you know, particularly in English, so you need to, I feel you need to be more careful almost. Definitely, definitely. So, but it was basically um, about his interpretation um, of China, India and Japan. And there were lots of interesting things about it. I mean, one... I think the the most the thing I would maybe most say it was just sumptuous. It was just yes. so luxurious. The embroidery was just 
another thing. I mean, it was just absolutely wow. incredible and amazing fabrics. Um, and what I, I really did like that they always said where the fabrics came from and where the oh, that is yeah, good. and who did the embroidery. Because is it? Because does he mainly use Lesage? Yeah, it was mainly Lesage. There were sometimes someone else, but I, 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 I wasn't very good at taking notes or taking pictures, so I, I can't, um, can't remember. But I've, I've, I've got the catalogue is amazing as well. Um, and, and in some ways quite different from the exhibition because in the exhibition there wasn't that much in terms of explanation of things but then yeah. you can't really do that in exhibitions anyway I guess so there was a room with just 2d stuff about with photo shoots and uh, photos from the from the shows and then there were I think I've read that there were sort of about 50 outfits on display and there were two rooms about China because he when when he launched opium he had a a collection entirely devoted to China and then there was one about India one room about opium the and one room about Japan and it was just really nicely done I mean the I I know that's maybe a stupid thing to say but the the things look brand new and maybe for someone but that's but that's really quite something that mm. they do that they do they must really I wonder if they if they archived everything after each collection yeah that's what i wonder too because i think that all the pieces were catwalk pieces um again i couldn't swear i would have to go through no, again and, but that's and really check. fascinating if they've if if all the way through his career or most of his career they were archiving mm, yeah i wonder and and then also they've done they had very simple um but sort of full figure mannequin mannequins and but they they were sort of fully accessorized, so they had beautiful shoes and boots, amazing boots and um, jewelry as well at times. Oh, that's fantastic. There were a lot of turbans uh, on display, so yeah, but sort of fully accessorized. And I I particularly like the room about India because maybe because it spanned the most most period, and I I hadn't I had associated his you know look at other cultures and other periods with the 70s somehow yeah. but there were some some outfits from the early 60s that were inspired by india and where it's not so much the shape but it's mainly the the fabric ah that's interesting yeah and did he travel to all these places no. I mean, how did he do his research no. that's that's the really interesting thing and they write they write about this quite a bit in the catalogue in the in the first essay so I'll, I'll read you out a quote which um i put through google translate so it was from french um but i'll read it out in english for for yeah. which will be better for the two of us so he says i approached all countries through dreams all i need to do is look at a beautiful book on india to draw as if i were there this is the role of the imaginary and apparently wow. Yeah, there is there is some, some difficult things about that in there. I think. Well, I know because it's it's yes because mm, he yes, said I'm that just in nineteen. That in. Yeah, he said that in nineteen ninety one, and oh. there there is quite a bit in the book about him actually not traveling very much and that he was doing imaginary voyages or this this thing I really like this expression that they use voyage immobile 
and I don't know how um, you say it. You would you call no, it a I still voyage? Traveling or... without traveling or something. Yeah. So still yeah, that. So a lot of it was through books, but also a lot of it in this in this first essay. Um, it says also through fic fictitious or fict fictional um, depictions of these other cultures. So the Hollywood is mentioned, the lady from Shanghai. So that's quite interesting. And, and music uh, where where the composer was inspired by other cultures. So, so it's at several removes from, yes. from the... Yes. And, uh, wow. So it's very... So Orientalism is in fact a more accurate way of describing it, I guess. It is. And what is interesting that also again in this in this article i should i think it's written by the 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 director of the of the museum um they cite edward said but they they only cite a little bit where he talks about what orientalism is and that it's an invention um and that it has all these imaginary fantastic beings in it and all that but it's sort of almost not as an aside but that bit is quoted and then said yeah that's that's a bit like it was for him how well so they've so they've acknowledged orientalism but mm. they've taken the colonialism the politics the appropriation out of it and just that's how just i made it into a sort of neutral thing of just dreaming of somewhere yeah that's because particularly sorry just just that particularly you sort of think you know what kind of books and films was he looking at that mm. are themselves orientalizing and standing from a kind of privileged position taking from another culture and then he's interpreting from that yes so and it is it is also i think i mean it's also kind of the dazzle and beauty of the designs themselves it's almost like people want want to be allowed to love that yes and not have to grapple with the difficult issues it raises and the kind of dreadful legacy that it speaks to yes so it, it yeah it is it is really interesting how so in so in the um in the exhibition i think this cultural appropriation thing isn't as far as I can tell, isn't mentioned at all. But I wasn't on my own, you know. I didn't read absolutely every yeah, sure. everything, and then I I thought, oh, I read what people have said about it, mm. and there is one article by Susie Lau for the Guardian, mm. and that's quite interesting. She sort of hints at some unease she has, but then she lets the concert uh, the um, curator speak. So she sort of quotes the curator talking about what, what it is about. And the curator, interestingly, who was called Aurélie Samuel, um, she actually, the, the other thing I should not I should mention, which is, is actually really important, it's not just his work, it's also um, works of art and clothes from a nearby museum, the Musée Guimet, which is apparently has the biggest collection of Asian objects, or I don't know, in the world wow. at least. So, and she, the, the curator, was now the director, I think not the top director, but a sort of director of the fashion collection, yeah. as far as I can tell. She, she worked there for a very long time, and she's a specialist on India. 
So God. she she worked on this exhibition, and then they do have a lot of yeah clothes, but they are not clothes that he might have. Well, he might have seen them, but because his suit, but the, but his, it's not it's evidence. Not, yeah, that he did. yeah. So um, oh wow. So that's that. So that's really interesting because it sounds like from the quotations from him, he was looking at books and paintings and photographs, and and Hollywood. Yes, but they've they and then creating from that, but they've linked it to indigenous yes. historic dress. I'm assuming mm. rather than contemporary to when he was designing. Uh, it well, some of it it was like one room is about imperial China, so it's okay. often quite old, you know, got mm. old pieces, and then the one room sort of focuses on Jay. There is also towards the end this sort of dazzling. It's like a cabinet of curiosities. It's like 60 or maybe 20 square cabinets, little vitrines with jewellery in it. And mm. it's a mixture of his. I mean, they're not mixed in one in, inside one cabinet. It's always no, either I his so. or another one. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're sort of... And I, again, there's a sort of aesthetic that is similar. But, you know, that's that's maybe it. And that... It's quite interesting that in there is a Marie Claire, um, French Marie Claire article, also a review, and that, that does address this sort of cultural appropriation. Right. And she says one of a few reasons why it's not such a big thing in France, I mean, not that mm. it doesn't exist, it's just not talked mm. about that, um, that much. And she says it's something to do that in France, fashion was born, aesthetics rain and politics are kept on the outside and I thought that was interesting she's not she's not I, as far as I can tell you know our French is really not great as far as I can tell she's not saying that's a good thing it's just that sure she's that's how it is yeah that it's almost it's the kind of idea that I'm an artist the world is my research tool and I can create as I am impelled to create yeah However, having said all that, there's also a sort of interview with the um, a curator and where she, and I, I suspect that will also be in the book where, and that's mentioned, I think, also in the exhibition, that he really immersed himself in the culture. So he mm. really did know the different periods of, mm. you know, the different um, reigns of the emperors and whatever. And he did, he did know about it. Um, and also he would say where things were from. He didn't sort of hide it or just didn't mention sure, it. Sure, sure. So that's quite heavily stressed. Yes. Um, but it's interesting. But it's yeah. fascinating because mm. it's also, it's like, what is the comparison being made here? As you say, it's kind of aesthetic and stylistic. Mm. But how how are you meant to read the source? Well, it's not the source material how you meant to read the Chinese objects and his objects in conjunction. Mm. And they would have had very different meaning. Of course, from... because it is, because it is, you know, the whole, not the whole point, but one of the points of the issue of, of cultural appropriation is that it's drained of its original context and meaning. Yeah. Mm. And this is kind of, Encu not encouraging but just representing that back yeah i mean it's interesting because so often this is 
ignored in fashion exhibitions, not just fashion exhibitions, but I think fashion exhibitions, it is an issue in particular. And it is as though, because I never really get this argument that I'm an artist, I can do what I want. Sure, you can, but you're also a political being. Mm. You know, just as I'm a writer, I can write what I want, but I realise that what I write has results and has resonances in the world, and uh, not in the world, but you know what I mean, like even three people read it, it's still reflecting me and my belief system, if you like, even if I'm not writing literally my political views are these. Mm. I just, I just really think all cultural producers if I I mean that's a kind of really horrible way of putting it but like artists writers whatever it is you produce is representing you and therefore are you just saying I have white privilege I can have whatever I want I can use whatever I want however I desire to and I think I mean clearly Yves Saint Laurent is working in periods where these issues were not discussed as much and were not interrogated as much but it's kind of then how they're interpreted in a museum because clearly they are incredible as examples of a couture. They are yeah. masterful in design, in execution, mm. in everything else. But it's also how, how, like what you want visitors to the exhibition to think about when they're in, that, in those rooms and what you want them, like the, like the sort of visual story even without reading texts. Mm. It's it's really... I, I mean, I think it's really interesting. Um, you know Elizabeth Kutex-Tosco, who's yeah. my PhD student, she's now teaching Central St. Martin. She's coming to speak at the Courtauld for me in, on the 8th of February. And I just think it's such an important issue. She's talking about decolonizing fashion studies. And it's it's such an important issue of how how do you put not how, but yes, sort of how, why, in what context, how do you widen the discussion of fashion and encourage non-Western, non-sort of middle and upper class voices to be included in the way that we analyse, interpret, approach fashion and dress Mm. in sort of every example. And it's really difficult because I can see what the museum is doing or from your description and it sounds like an amazing exhibition but at the same time there feels like there's something uncomfortable that needs to in fact be unpacked rather than kind of pushed aside because we you know we're in an era where you should not be ignoring those things you should confront them head on and admit and face up to what whiteness has done Yes, and I, there's sort of two things. One is that I, I think they've tried that a bit, mm. but in some, but always with this caveat that a I might not I might have misunderstood something, and also I haven't sure, sure. I haven't read the entire catalogue, so they might have not put you know they mm. might have said exhibition is one thing, catalogue is another thing. Yes, um, but they almost seem they're sort of almost what comes across to me like an excuse. Um, but isn't really, it almost makes it worse. It, one thing, for instance, that's said in an interview with the curator, I think, or somewhere, that um, he didn't copy. He used the essence. He he studied it really well, 
a cultural and then he he used the essence and he made something new and i thought mm, yeah i don't know is that does that is that any different yeah well i suppose it i i mean i would say it comes back to who feels they have the right to do that mm. and who is in a position of power and who controls representation i don't mean Yves Saint Laurent controls yeah. all these things mm, mm. but i think obviously it's a much bigger issue than this exhibition yes. and, and yes perhaps if we read all the labels and we read the mm. catalogue there's more but it's just you can't hide from white privilege and you need to address it i think mm. I do wonder, you know, what 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 I wonder is because in Susie Lau, there there is a um, also a wall of lots of his sketches, mm. and they um, they look, I don't know. There's something sort of particularly what was particularly uncomfortable for me about them, although they're beautiful. Um, they're all sort of, I don't even want to say that, but they all sort of look Chinese, and I think they all relate to his Chinese um, collection, and. Right. Susie Lau says something about that. It also seems to um, suggest that she was uneasy with them. And then she says, mm. well, when, she says something like one has to think about the context he was working in. And mm. and that's true, of course. Things were different in must. the late, late 1970s. But I, I sort of, that part, also I partly think, could, can you do this exhibition at all and do it? So there isn't that unease, or is it more like you have to just acknowledge that that it's there and you not try and make it go away? I th- I think yes. I think mm. I mean I think it is like obviously you have to contextualize. You can't. Although there were plenty of people in the nineteen seventies who were aware of mm. the problems and the issues at stake here. Yeah. Um. But yes, you have to look at the context of the time, but that doesn't mean now we're looking at them from however many years distance that we just say those were different times the end because mm. the point is now we know better or better we now we understand the processes at work and the machinations and I understand as well that you don't want to well I think it's difficult and but I think in a way you have to confront difficulty because you can't just make everything nice and lovely and say oh it's a shame it was all a bit dodgy then but aren't these gorgeous? Mm. And I think I think there's like not wanting to spoil the fun of looking at beautiful things, and there's also not wanting to kind of confront the thoroughgoing nature of this attitude towards the East as well. Because I, you know, part of and that sense... it hasn't completely gone. It's yes, very there far is, from having gone. Yes, there is so that. there's also that issue that there's plenty of people who still think it's fine and dandy to behave like this. Mm. Well, not to behave like this, because I don't want to just condemn Yves Saint Laurent. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think he was. But I think it's more about museums and curations than individual designers or artists. I think it's about how how things are interpreted and presented now from this standpoint albeit acknowledging different contexts yeah because i part of me thought should one even have this exhibition mm. but then but what he's do you met, think? i mean you're a curator what would what yeah well would I, someone said to you you know not necessarily even saying but just 
you know, there's so much kind of gorgeous Eastern referenced material in the 1970s. Do an exhibition on it. Mm. I think, yeah, I think like we've just said, I think you just have to, I would have a, I, I'm not sure I would want to do it, <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then I think the only way you could do it is by, I, at first I, I almost just said, oh, I'll have a preamble where I explain <laughs> what, and then you do the gorgeous, but that's, yes. that's of course totally wrong. You just have to, I guess you would have to say where things what the inspiration was and maybe go into a little bit how far away it is from the real thing what the real Mm. thing meant and maybe not with each one but um so that's one thing you have to do and you have to just yeah put the context why why did people why did people think they could do what you know why did people think they could do it what Um, what was happening in terms of relations between france and those countries at the time these mm. were made you know how was how how was that country being shown in the news for example because mm. i can think of some wars that were going on in that mm. period that mm. would rather alter the way you might consider relationships mm. i mean there is they make a lot of this sort of him if so no living being almost like a recluse and mm. living in his imagination from when he was quite young mm. and um, being fascinated by by imaginary worlds. And and there's a wonderful quote by someone called Hervé Guibert, who I hadn't heard of before, but I should have, where he talks about who are these women who wear these kind of things. It's a, mm, that's it's, interesting. And he talks, like he, he called them... Um, grand voyageuse immobile. So all these women. Oh, so yeah, they are as well. They are all traveling um, to different times. It's a beautiful quote. They're all traveling mm. to different times, and different different countries, um, and they become all these different kind of women. All mm. all they all come from this um, imagination. But it's the thing is, it isn't these these places also do exist. And well, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Because it's not like it's not com- it's not fiction on fiction. It's fiction. It's kind of mythologizing actual peoples mm-hmm. and actual cultures, and just saying it. I suppose it's like that's the thing to unpick, isn't it? Is is that act is is one which you know is sort of recognizable to most people. But then it's what you feel you can dream about and what is seen as sufficiently othered that it's dreamlike. Yeah. I mean, the, in the Marie Claire article, they, they speak to someone called Florie Bavard, who is an anthropologist. And mm. um, and she's, she says also one thing to think about, who's profits from, it's called the folklorization of other cultures. Oh, that's um, a good phrase. Yeah. And she says, is exoticizing the other through the prism of our fantasy not another form of domination? Um, <laughs> so well, I thought, a great... yes, I, sorry, go on. That I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that it was in Marie Claire, and it was actually quite, yes. a, you know, quite a. It wasn't. It's like us, you know. It's it wasn't critical, but it's more like, mm, come on, think about this a little bit. Yes, push it. Mm. Because that quote reminded me, there's a there's a really good um, book on 
Josephine Baker by Phyllis Rose, where I'm not sure if, if it's Phyllis Rose commenting on Josephine Baker or Josephine Baker herself, where it says something like, um, you know, it, it it's nicer to be called a, a sort of beautiful thing than an ugly thing, but you're still a thing. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's and, a good quote, yeah. And that is has always really stuck in my mind, and it's probably like 25 years ago I read that book first, because exactly that, even if your culture has been made beautiful or you're being told you're beautiful, if it's based on particular suppositions about your culture and about you, then then it's still no good. It's like saying, well, you're so pretty. Yeah, it's like the noble savage. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Mm. So it was, you know, it was gorgeous mm. and beautiful. But um, I guess it has provoked, it's provoked us to conversation. Yeah, and I always, I yeah, I do like them much more, the, the exhibitions, than the ones where you go, oh, yeah, that's nice. Yes, and exactly. And that's it. Um, yeah, so... no, you need, you need a bit of something. And as yeah, as I keep saying, I might you know I might have not seen something, I might have misunderstood something, and I think they've been they they tried to address it. I I really do think they did, but well, no, it seems mm. it seems like they've suggested ways to rethink mm. or to approach, and it's just I just I guess it's just the degree to which these things have to be said and the degree to which it's important but also fascinating yes. it's it's really important to think about well why were why were some things okay then and not now and yeah. who had the power and who could say this thing or make this thing mm. hmm. yeah Ugh, that's very interesting yes and so what what have you been up to well I have mainly been getting my office in order from moving from Somerset House to Vernon Square that's been my biggest project. And then yesterday we had an event which was, you know, we have these addressing images events yes. where mm. we just put up an image. What do you think? And yesterday I showed a clip from Dames, a 1934 film that Busby Berkeley choreographed and directed. The, well, they're called dance sequences, but they're not really dance. It's more kind of gesture and movement and a series of poses. Um, I haven't seen that first, film. Oh, you must see it because it's really amazing because it's like a kind of quite funny, light, quite corny comedy. But then at the end, it has three Busby Berkeley sequences. And it is like Adrian said when we were watching, this is like a sort of avant-garde film that's suddenly been plonked into a, a comedy because they're like sort of mini films in themselves and they're, mm. ex they're extraordinary visually. And... Well, I mean, it's interesting in relation to what we've just been saying, because it is, again, that visually you're just completely seduced because they're so excessive and it's like looking in a kaleidoscope, these kind of ranks and ranks of chorus girls who are then, through the use of making them form patterns with their legs, for example, oh, yes. through camera work, are turned into like kaleidoscopic patterns that move and incredible. But at the same time, it's so dubious in terms of the way women's bodies are being viewed and looked at and the, the main one we talked about was to the song I Only Have Eyes For You and it starts off with the two stars just on the street so in, it's as though you're in depression New York but they're singing the man is singing this song and then it's like his obsession with her 
as they get on the subway and it's meant to be they kind of fall asleep on the subway and he's looking at the advertising and it and the faces in the advertising all turn into her face and then you enter through her face into an enormous blown up face and then lots of faces and then you realize it's dancers holding these faces and twirling them round and then they flip down the faces in half and they become crinoline skirts and then it looks as though all the dancers are this one woman ruby keeler the actress ruby keeler and it's just kind of it gets more and more kind of surreal and extraordinary there's a point where it's like a photograph of her which focuses on her eyeball and then the actress herself emerges up through the pupil of the eye. It's and then it like changes into she's a, in a mirror, and then all these women dancers come and they become the handle of the mirror, and then the woman herself picks up the mirror. It's insane, and it's. I mean, one of the, my favourite Busby Berkeley facts is that during the First World War, War, he was in charge of drilling soldiers, so he was used to dealing with a mass of bodies and getting them to count in their heads, getting them to hit a mark, drilling them to repeat and repeat and repeat specific movements. And it's like he just transfers this onto lots of women and creates these just incredible... It's like it's just his vision kind of put onto the screen. It's just... I'd yeah, love to see bizarre. the storyboard. I wonder whether they must have had one yes, because it sounds so wonder, complicated. Because there's, there's like he loves crane shots where where like the camera suddenly swings up, and there's also these amazing not in that song but in another song called Dames, like the film's name. There's a bit where there's all these girls like in a circle, loads and loads of them, and then it seems like one flies out from the middle of the circle. And there's a close-up of her face in the camera. And it's a reverse shot. You know, she started off at the camera and then goes down. But putting it in reverse, it's so kind of trippy that suddenly this figure flies out at the camera. It's it's really bizarre. And I wonder it's who, really you know, bizarre. there must have... Because I, I have, I must have seen, you know, in other films, but not for a long time, these sort of massive dance scenes. And I just sometimes wonder how many do you know? I mean, sometimes it seems like so no. many women, or I sometimes know, men they, as well, I guess. Yeah, sometimes there's men as well. This one, it's all all women. Well, I read John Cobal um, interviewed two of his dancers and also a man who is like their set photographer, on set photographer, and the the two women said that that he had a kind of not a permanent company, but a more permanent company of about 25 of them. And then he would just bring in hundreds more women to do these. And that there were like three tiers, if I can put it like that, of women. So there were the close-up girls who were the prettiest in his vision of prettiness, but it was like their bodies as well. And then there were the ones who were like the show girls who could kind of do the moves and perform and then the others who did not fit either of those criteria who were pushed to the back and so you're you are in fact seeing the same girls again and again mm. because they keep being put at the front yeah. and that he he couldn't dance he never danced and he didn't when he auditioned women he didn't ask them to dance he was just looking at their bodies and whether they fitted God. his aesthetic mm. and it is it is like this sort of modernist fever dream that it's like the individual and the mass and, you know, sort of technology and the machine that's something exciting but frightening and kind of making the body efficient, fragmenting the body. They are crazy. 
Yeah. So it was very, it was good fun to have people in, and there, there was a nice audience and and some nice comments. So it was, it was like a fun thing to do on a Friday. Hmm. It also reminds me of sort of Dancing Ladies, you know, the one with John Crawford. I think there is a bit about how. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. Um. Yeah, it's it, it. I really like it. It's with Clark Gable as well, and she's a chorus girl basically. Um, and there's a bit about how she's. I think there is a bit about how she's selected and and that kind of stuff. But so you say it's called Dames. Dames. I've got the DVD, so I can lend it. To oh yeah, no, I'd, I really want to watch it, and I want. I really yeah. wanted to come on Friday, but I just, I just couldn't. Oh, don't worry. What's I'll, your I'll next one? I'll recreate the entire thing next time. <laughs> What's I your next you. one on? Do you know yet? No. Oh, okay. No, we've got like the next event is is the masterclass, the fashion illustration masterclass ah. with Jason Brooks, which is completely sold out and will be amazing, I'm sure. And then Liz Cotesco is coming on the eighth of February, so do come to that if you can. because yeah. that will be really great. Mm. And then yes, I don't know. I kind of decide nearer the time. It's kind of what seems like would be interesting at that moment. Mm. Really. But yes, and I'll see you soon, won't I? Yes, oh, I need to, I think we need to do a little ritual in your new office. I've, I've been watching... Oh, we do. I've been watching Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, so we <laughs> we, we need to do a little ritual. So I'll, I'll definitely okay. come and we'll do that. I don't know if I'm thrilled or scared. Um, but, you'll be but thrilled. It'll, it'll be good. It'll, it'll be good. Oh, good, good. Okay, well, we will make a date. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. Bye.